0: Good morning. It's my distinct pleasure this morning to welcome and to introduce our our uh, speaker for the week, and I'm very excited to see what the Lord has brought Dr. Rust, uh, given Dr. Rust to share with us. So let me just give you an introduction um, of, of about one-tenth of the things that, that probably could be said about him um, I'm gonna tell you what this guy's got. Uh, he's been a lot of places and done a lot of things. So this just is a synopsis. So you make sure you come to these dinners and sit close to him and pelt him with dozens of questions, so that he has to answer and can't eat every night. That'll be, that'll be a special treat for him. Yeah. Dr. Troy Rush began serving as executive director of the Beulah Baptist Association in 2016. In addition to that role, he serves as the Director of Spiritual Formation and, and Executive Vice President of Roxborough Christian Academy. He's a native of Allensville, Kentucky, and knows how to spell it, which is unusual with people from Kentucky. <laughs> He's been in the pastorate for over 19 years, and he served churches in Tennessee, Kentucky, and North Carolina. He has received his uh, Masters of Divinity in Missions, Evangelism, and chur- Church Growth, and a Ph.D. in Preaching from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He has served in a variety of leadership positions in associations and local churches all across those states, and has served as, even, even, even took the punishment of serving as a moderator of an association, which is especially painful. So I know, I know the Lord's been with you on that one, brother. The most important thing about uh, Troy Russ that you could know is he has a, is a lovely wife named Amy of 19 years, and they have, y'all going to hear this right, six kids. Yeah, that's right. You heard that. Addie, Amelia, Anne Marie, Jasper, Aria, and Autumn. And I, Troy, we'll get to meet them all this week, right? Right. Buckle down. They're awesome. Amen. Brother Troy, would you come and open God's word to, to us this morning?
1: Well, it's a privilege to be with you this morning and this week, and I hope I can live up to that introduction. Uh, that's a dangerous thing about introductions. We uh, have a tendency to oversell, folks, but uh, God is good, and His grace is abundant, and as we turn this morning to Joshua chapter 3, uh, my crew is here. Uh, Tim may not have known, when my family's here, you always look against the back wall. That's where we tend to be. Uh, That way, should someone need to uh, depart momentarily, my wife is always close to the door. (laughs) One of the interesting things, since I have not been in the pastorate, is to find out what it's like to sit with your kids during church. Uh, up until September of 2017, my wife always did all of that, and I always sat down front. And if I heard something on rare occasion, I was the guy who just kind of turned around and gave a dirty look to wonder what was going on back there. And so since then, I have learned uh, just how well my wife has done in uh, in keeping them uh, focused And uh, if they have to go out, they usually don't stay out very long. So um, I'm grateful for my wife and for our children and for their support here today. Well, this morning, as we think about revival, revival is one of those things that, uh, if we're not careful, becomes merely another activity on the calendar. Uh, It almost becomes a mini program within itself that will be over and done within a few days. It was one of those things that many of you will remember not too many years ago. Uh, We did for a week two times a year. And it was something that people got excited about. Uh, Sadly, I think sometimes they may have gotten excited for the wrong reasons, maybe because they wanted to hear a different guy preach, maybe because they wanted to hear different good music. Uh... It would be great, however, if God's people were truly seeking revival uh, once a year, twice a year, every day of the year. Because in associational work, one of the things that we see is uh, there are a few levels and, and they descend as we go. There is the need for revival, which I believe every church has. And when revival is not sought, then there is the need for revitalization, which means we don't just need a return to our first love on the inside, it means there are things that need to change. There are things that need to die. Uh, There may be leadership changes that need to be made. And then below that is replanting. Uh, That means that a church is going to have a brand new leadership structure, going to have brand new leaders, probably have a different name. Uh, Or else they will die. And that's the last one on the list. When the doors are closed and when oftentimes either the building is handed over to someone else or the building is sold and the assets are liquidated. That's got to be a sad day. To realize that there are places where the gospel was boldly preached for many years, where God's people gathered for so many years, and then there came a day... When it was another building you see when you take God's people in whom the spirit resides when you take them out of the church building it's just another building it's a fancier building uh, that's got some Christian markings on it but apart from the indwelling of the spirit of God in God's people it is not a church. Now, the good news is today, uh, I don't think Theresa Baptist Church is in any danger of that extreme. But the truth is, it can happen. It's happened to much larger churches. Uh, it's happened when outside factors began to change and God's people were saying, No, we think we'll just do what we've always done. And instead of by the Spirit of God responding to how God was changing their environment, they refused and saying, I, will not be, I shall not be moved in all the wrong ways. And so today, as you are not only seeking revival, but also, as your uh, search committee reported earlier, uh, getting a little further down that process in finding who your next pastor will be, you are at an especially significant transition stage. So I pray that this week, uh, you'll come desiring not just to take part in in a good activity, but that you'll really come with a desire to hear what God has for us so this morning as we come to Joshua chapter 3 uh, now I've got to warn you most of you have heard me preach before thankfully I've got Tim here with me today so uh, brother if this message becomes a long tail cat you uh, give me a signal give me a baseball signal at first uh, if it gets really long you just say stop and we'll be done Uh, So we want to uh, honor the opportunity to go to Sunday school here in a few moments, and I hope you'll stick around for that. Well, when we come to Joshua chapter 3, we find that the children of Israel have come up to the Jordan River. They have sent two spies across the river to find out what's going on in Jericho. They have met a woman named Rahab. We usually know her by her full title as Rahab the harlot not the person you would expect to pop up in the story, much less the person you would later expect to pop up in the genealogy of Jesus. But isn't that how God works? He works in unexpected ways with unexpected people, which reminds us it's by his grace or it will fail. Anytime what we strive to do as a church becomes about our wisdom and about our strength, we are headed for failure. They went over, they met Rahab. She hid the spies, and they promised to her when they came back to conquer the city that they would rescue all of the members of her household who were in her house at that time. So they run to the hills to escape the men that are out looking for them. They go back and they catch up uh, with the rest of God's people, to report what they've seen. In the opening of chapter 3, we find that God is revealing what they need to do. Now, in the interest of time, we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 3, verse 14, to find out what happens when these things start unfolding. And this morning, I want us to see the keys to a God-honoring future. You see, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been dreaming of this day for a whole generation. How do you see that come about without wasting that opportunity? You're at a transition point. You've been waiting and hoping and dreaming of what the next chapter is going to look like for Theresa Baptist Church. And I know that you all want to do that well. You want to do that in a way that lifts up Jesus and brings honor and glory to our God. And I want us to think about that this morning. Read with me, if you will, beginning in uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people... And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks, all the days of harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan and those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho and the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great privilege we have to gather in this place to worship you through Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you, God, that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for Theresa Baptist Church and for their desire to be revived. Lord, remind us again today that revival is not something that happens to lost people. Revival is something that happens to your people, to the saved, that they might be returned to the love they had at first for you. God, I pray that you would do a heart work today, that your spirit would take your divinely inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word and cause it to make application in our lives. Help us to look closely at ourselves. Help us to look honestly at ourselves. To be able to see our attitude for what it is. To be able to see our sin for what it is. To see how that pops up in resistance in pride and arrogance, uh, in being stiff-necked and unbending toward your plan. Oh, God, we pray today that you would change our hearts as we look at this ancient text and see this awesome event, as the children of Israel crossed over into this great next chapter that many of their parents died in the wilderness before they ever saw it. Well, God, I pray that there would be no one who would perish on the wrong side of the river because of their unbelief. But, Lord, that they would be able to come into uh, the promises of the next chapter uh, saying, Lord, here we are. We're ready to follow you. God, I pray that you would speak through me today I pray, Father, that you would do a work uh, that only you can do by changing hearts, changing minds, drawing your people close to you. And Father, I do pray that if there's one here today that's lost without Jesus, Lord, that they'd not be revived, that they'd be saved. That by your grace, you might open their eyes, that they would see uh, their, their deadness, their separation from you. And by your grace, Father, that you would save them. Lord, that they would turn from their sins and turn to Jesus by faith. Oh, God, we long to see your fingerprints on all that we do so that the glory would not go to us or or to uh, our history, but the glory would go to Jesus Christ, our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. When we think about these keys to a God-honoring future, I want to challenge you this morning to be ready for God's plan for you. Now that sounds kind of general, I know. To be ready for God's plan for you as a church, which means that you have to be ready for God's plan for you as an individual Christian, because every church is made up of individual believers. And if the individual believers are not walking with God, the church never will. And so when we think about that, I want to remind you that whatever God's plan is for your life as an individual, as a church, it's all ultimately about him. Uh, One of the great travesties uh, of the prosperity gospel is not only that it's uh, theologically obnoxious, that life is all about health and wealth, Uh, the great issue is that it's ultimately not about God. It's ultimately about you and me and how fat and sassy we can be, how comfortable we can be for the few years we're down here on this earth. When the Bible tells us that however many years we have is ultimately up to God, whether or not we have comfort uh, is questionable. Some people will have it in abundance. Some people will have a little. Some people will have none. But that's not the ultimate concern. The ultimate concern is, is God being glorified through your life? If if you're in comfort, when they see your comfort, do they see the glory of Christ? If you're in suffering, do they see the glory of Christ? Well, the children of Israel have experienced a mixture of that, including way more hardships than they ever would have desired, largely because of their own rebellion because of their own disobedience. You remember all of the first generation died in the wilderness except two men, Joshua and Caleb. Oh, to be a senior adult like Caleb when he was about 85 years old said, give me the mountain. <laughs> don't, don't let me cruise into retirement. Still, as an old man, he was willing to go and to conquer the toughest things that God had before him. And I want to see this morning, four essentials. These are not maybes. These are musts to be ready for God's plan for you. Number one, you be, must be ready to follow God's leadership. As we come now to the close of Joshua 3, we see what happens first. Uh, they are waiting for a signal. And that is when the priests come by carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That sacred box in which was the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, Aaron's budding rod. That sacred box, that would be the thing that was put in the Holy of Holies when the temple was built. Whose lid would be the mercy seat uh, where the high priest would come in once a year and sprinkle the blood of the Lamb to represent the atonement of uh, sin for God's people. It was very sacred Because it was the place where God caused his presence to dwell. And when they saw God's presence move, they knew it's time to go. I want to ask you this morning, what motivates you to go? What motivates you to do this or to do that? Or to refuse to do this or do that as the people of Theresa Baptist Church? Is it because you realize... Well, man, the Spirit of God is on the move. we got to go. It doesn't matter whether we're ready or not. God is on the move. It's time to go. I can only imagine what a, a, an awesome, uh, maybe even chilling occasion it must have been when they came out from their tents. Now stop to consider the numbers. According to Numbers 26-51, of the men 20 years old and older, Just the men of fighting age, 601,730. We always tend to think of the children of Israel, this really big crowd out in the wilderness. If you add women and children, this could easily have been 2 million people. That's a lot of tents. That's a lot of crowd. That's a lot of time to move anywhere. And what's got to happen... This small group of God-appointed men, these priests who are to go to God on behalf of the people and go to the people on behalf of God, come carrying this sacred box known as the Ark of the Covenant. And when they see them pass by, they realize it's time to go. They've got to be preceded by His presence. Let me say to you today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing as the future of this church... It's got to be preceded by his presence. Henry Blackaby said it very well many years ago. Find out where God is working and join him there. Oh, how often have we uh, tried to get God to endorse our product? We said, I think this is a really good idea. We're going to go over here and do this. Dear God, please bless our, we might as well go ahead and say, please bless our mess. Because if it didn't come from him, that's what it's going to come down to and the frustration, and the wasted time, and the wasted resources. And we just wonder why things don't go the way we thought they would go. Why the church doesn't see the success, if we want to use that word, uh, that we wanted to see. And the answer may be in whom you are following. If you are following tradition, if you are following the flesh, if you're following worldly pressures, anything other than being preceded and following the presence of God, then you're doomed for failure. We see there was a miraculous intervention that happens here. Uh, they've got to um, I remember that old song by the Cathedral Quartet a few years ago uh, Step into the water, wait out a little bit deeper. You remember that? Uh, we need to do that Spiritually speaking. For them, it was quite a a physical reality. Uh, The Jordan River, which is not a huge river, but it's at flood stage. Which means three things. It's wider, it's deeper, and it's especially slicker. If you ever go around, it's not a wise thing, but if you ever go around a body of water when it's outside of its banks where there's no rock, where there's no usual place for water to flow, you will find that uh, you don't have to fall in. You'll slide in because the water is where it's not normally. And what does God do? He does something that he's done once before, but only once before. Just as he parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel had walked through on dry ground and the leadership of Moses was affirmed, now God is going to back up the Jordan River. They're going to walk through on dry land and the leadership of Joshua is going to be affirmed. And if you look at the cities that are mentioned there, uh, that means the water backed up some 15 or 20 miles. And no wonder, if you have a couple of million people that got across, the text later says they crossed quickly, but even at that rate, it took some time. And what was happening all the while, the priests were standing in the middle of the river. And we're not given a time, but we can be sure they stood for quite a while. They stood as tens and tens and tens of thousands of people passed by them. And if they glanced over to the side, they could still see that water piled up. Because God was holding it back. It couldn't happen if they didn't take that step of faith. God did not part the waters first this time. It was not going to happen Until they stepped into the next chapter. So we see here uh, the bringing together of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Someone once asked Charles Spurgeon how he reconciled those things. He said he didn't try to reconcile, friends. It's throughout Scripture that this is all by God's grace. But he's not levitating any of us. Just as he is the one doing the work, he's also calling us to obedience. So when he says, it's time to go, follow me, what do we do? Do we merely say, I'm with you, Lord. Amen. I, that's my man right there. Yeah. What's that good for? You can do that setting in the bleachers at a game because... You're not one of the players. You see, when it comes to the people of God, to the church, whether we want to believe it or not, it's all floor and no bleachers. It's all field and no stands. God hasn't made any room for the critics to set up in the press box and say, "Ah, right, you should have done this. Uh, look at what a, what a mess says the person doing nothing. You see, in God's economy, it's time to take a step of faith. Nobody got to stand on the sideline like it was a parade and said, there we go. Who's we? If you're part of them, get in and march. Step in. And yet God used those spiritual leaders to lead the way. It's the reason why God gives you the leaders that he gives you. Whether it's your next pastor, whether it's the deacons, whoever they are, the reason why they have to be godly men is because there are times when God will call them to stick their neck out first. God will call them to put their foot in first. So if you ever get a, a little cocky uh, thinking that, man, I, I really, am, uh, uh, really am something, aren't I? You're the target. If there's going to be a target for opposition... You need to be the first ones because you're the ones that God has set apart to lead his people. Now, God's ultimate purpose in this is going to be he's about to establish Israel in the land that he has promised them so that he will bring from that land the Messiah that he has also promised to them. Anytime we see a passage like this From which we can make practical application, we have to remember it was ultimately all pointing to Jesus. That you and I, though we be Gentiles, might be children of Abraham by faith. So I want to ask you this morning are you following God's leadership? Do you really wait for His presence to be out front? For him to be uh, the impetus behind what you do? Or do you take a a little bit of a pig pen approach? You remember pig pen and Charlie Brown? Man, he was the busiest guy on the show. In fact, most of the time you saw pig pen was at the dances they had. And what was he doing? Man, he was kicking up dust. He was a busy guy. But who really wanted to be a part of anything he had going on? was filthy. See, God's never called us to busyness. He's not called you to busyness just to do something and to attach his name to it and call it good. You see, here's one of the things I've learned since I have not been in the pastorate and been doing uh, roles that are a little more like the average person's uh, schedule. I've realized that if we're going to ask people to commit to something, it needs to be worth their time. That people's lives have so many things going on, too many things going on usually. That we don't need to water down the significance of the gathering of God's people by asking them to do something that really doesn't matter. If we're going to schedule it, we're going to encourage them to come to it. It ought to be something that counts for eternity. Secondly, we not only need to follow God's leadership, we also need to give glory to God. When we cross over into chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, we're covering a lot of verses, but we're going to take them as we go. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Who's going to get the glory for what happens here? Now, I I know we will quickly say, "Oh, oh, God's going to get the glory. No question about it. Can we say that with a straight face? Is there ever a time when it seems as though the spotlight is being jerked back and forth by some folks who may want to step into it? You see, the the Lord makes it very clear in Scripture He's not going to share His glory with anyone else. He's not going to let us stand in the spotlight with Him. When God exalts people, what they're doing is they're given an, an opportunity to step behind the spotlight and to shine it on him. And that's what, exactly what Joshua is doing here. Uh, they're called to make a monument to God's power and God's faithfulness. And every tribe is going to participate. With a rock so big, notice they got to put it on their shoulder. They don't just hold it in their hand. This is a sizable stone. They're all going to take it across the river, and they are going to do, in the old hymn, uh, Come Thou found of, e- of Every Blessing, it says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come. Now that sounds like old language, because it is. But this is an Ebenezer. A standing stone. A memorial to the faithfulness of God. I've often noticed that, isn't it interesting that Charles Dickens, in A Christmas Carol, chose to name the bad guy Ebenezer? Because when the story is over, the fingerprints of God would be on that man's life. Now, we don't tend to raise Ebenezers very often, and we live in a day and time when uh, we can have that kind of thing laser-etched if we want to. The ultimate question is, why? Why did we put a plaque there? Why did we put a stone there? God's purpose is quite clear. It is a witness to future generations. So that, in verse 6, so that when your children ask later, saying, <coughs> what do these stones mean? The New American Standard adds the tail on that. What do these stones mean to you? Some translations is just, what do these stones mean? Literally, what do these stones mean to you? That doesn't mean uh, that the identity of God is up for debate, that God is just whoever God is to you or whoever he is to me. No, he's saying, you need to testify. Don't just claim to be a Christian. Don't just claim to follow God. Let them know that the grace of God has made application in your life. Life. What does he mean to you and to you and to you and to you? Are you ready to open your mouth and tell that story? Not just to your friends. He says to the generations to come. To your children. When they ask, well, what do these mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off they will let their children know God did it. God was here with us every step of the way so that that memorial is not going to be about the ancestors. You see, sometimes in, in the, the midst of trying to mark a significant event, we end up making it more about our ancestors, more about our history than we make it about our God. Don't miss that. It's easy in the name of Jesus to make much of man and make little of Christ. It's not about the ancestors. It's about God. It's not ultimately about history. It's about worship. So that we might be reminded of just how faithful our God is. In the ministry of Christ, what is he doing? He is constantly giving glory to God. In John 13, he says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. He's saying that the Son is here to glorify the Father, and in return, the Son will be glorified also. We can spend a lot of effort bringing glory to us. And instead of God's glory being in the spotlight, God's glory is over there pulling the rope on the curtain. And we're in the spotlight. Friend, if that's the case, you need to change places. Uh, You need to realize that your purpose for being on stage is not center stage, but to set the stage for the hero. You work his curtain. You work his spotlight. You set his stand. You do whatever you need to do so that everybody sees this is our hero and his name is Jesus. Number three, we've got to move along quickly. Thirdly, If we're going to follow and be ready for God's plan, you have to follow your appointed leaders. Notice what God does through Joshua in verse 8. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Then Joshua set up the 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. Um at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. For the priest who carried the Ark ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed. And when all the people had finished crossing the Ark of the Lord, and the priest crossed before the people, The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. I'm going to say something that may make some of you a little uncomfortable. When God gives you a leader, it is for the purpose of leading. Because, oh well, okay, <laughs> I got you there. What's the big deal? I've come to realize that there are many churches who say they want a leader, who want a manager. A leader leads. A manager simply does what you told him to do. There's a huge difference. Uh, if, if you go down to a local business, uh, the manager is making it happen. He's doing what he was told to do. He makes sure that the, the orders are ordered, uh, that the workers are scheduled, and he, he basically is uh, a middle management kind of guy. And if a leader above him says, we're going to close the store, put a wrecking ball to it, boom, it's gone. Strangest thing yesterday, we were headed to a funeral in Apex, driving through Hillsborough and saw this great cloud of smoke. I said, man, they got to be burning something. And as we drove through Hillsborough right before we got to 85, we noticed they were uh, watching the old Russell Steakhouse Burn down the funny thing was there were a lot of people out there with chairs already set up That looks a little weird. This must have been planned. Well, by the time I got home It was on the internet. It was a planned burning uh, They intended to do away with that building. So people brought their long chairs and they watched Seems a little odd. I don't know how long you need to watch a fire before you get bored there were dozens of firefighters around because it was a training exercise. No manager made that decision. There's got to be someone equipped to lead, empowered to lead, that says, this chapter's over. We've got to move on to the next one. Notice how God worked through Joshua. Joshua. How did he lead them? He led them into obedience. God says, so often in the Old Testament we find that God says do this, and then we find how they did exactly that. That's what Joshua was there for, just as Moses had been there. Moses had been there to lead the people into obedience, whether they wanted to obey or not. And what did he do? What did Joshua do? He did exactly what God told him to do. And then he encouraged all of God's people to do the same. That's why you choose a leader very carefully. You don't want someone who's not listening to God. But now the flip side of that is, it's hard to lead a people who don't want to follow a man who is listening to God. And if they had no intention of following a man who's listening to God, they shouldn't have brought him in in the first place. Oh, this is when he really starts stepping on the toes. That's why in so many churches, and yours is not one of those, where the pastor pastorate's a revolving door. It's not a matter of tenure, it's a matter of survival. That's all the man can do to go and last a few years because they didn't really want him to come in and lead anyway. They wanted him to marry and to bury and, and give us a nice talk, son, on Sunday morning. And do that other stuff we don't want to do or, or can't do. And we'll take care of you. And the minute you start challenging our wants and start calling out sin, we'll help you pack. And it's a disgrace to God. And it happens every week. Here's what God did through Joshua. He led them into obedience. He led them to testify To the goodness of God. He was leading them to worship as they set those stones, and appears as though uh, even different stones that He Himself set up in the middle of the river. He wanted to make sure that He was obedient, that in all of this, God's going to get the glory, that it's never going to be about us. But don't miss this, He also leads them into battle. They're not going to Jericho for vacation. They're not crossing the river for a photo op. Those didn't exist back then for one thing, but you know what I mean. It was not done merely for posterity. There's a reason why 40,000 men are ready to go to war. Because whether we want to believe it or not, there's always a battle just around the corner. And God sends in a leader to lead his people into, through, and out of battle. And when you don't have a leader, or you refuse to follow a leader, what happens? It's like chickens. You ever seen chickens when a hawk flies over? Uh, they, feel, they can almost feel his presence, and they see that shadow going across the yard, and what happens? And they all run, and they scatter. Welcome back, for those of you who may have drifted off. And it's only then that God will exalt him as a leader. Notice what it says there, uh, that it was that day. It was then that God began to exalt him. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. You see, a lot of people want to be exalted in themselves. God exalts men. He he raises up men when they first raise up his glory and his honor. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you your goal is not to win your goal is to have a humble spirit and to be willing to follow as God leads and by the way when God sends you a godly leader guess what he was first a follower what did Joshua do he followed Moses for a generation he knew what it was like to submit himself to leadership I guarantee you he wasn't jumping up and down and trying to manipulate the vote. Maybe I'll get to be the next guy. No, it was a God-appointed thing that certainly he entered into with fear and trembling. Well, here's the last part. Just as we follow God's leadership, as we give glory to God, as we follow his appointed leaders, lastly, we must move forward by faith. Verse 15 now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before." Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before until you, before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done uh, to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever." Now, it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were before the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and that there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. To move forward by faith, what does that mean? It means the Jordan's behind you. God did a miraculous work. And when it was time for it to be over, it was over. When the last priest lifted his foot up out of the water, it went right back to flood stage, just as it had been before. Be careful. Our tendency is to want to reproduce the victories of the past. Our dreams are oh, only if we could go back to such and such year. Only if we could go back to such and such event. I want to remind you that the great works of God are seldom repeated. God only parted the waters twice in the history of man. And even those were nowhere near the same in scale. So instead of trying to live to to see that done again, When you're moving forward by faith, you're simply asking, all right, Lord, where where do we need to go next? Who do we need to reach next? Uh, How can we be in the center uh, of your will as we go forward? The scripture says it was the 10th of the month. That was this time of year. It matches up to our March-April season. It was the day that the Passover lamb was selected. It hadn't been... That many years, 40 years, since that Passover happened. And it was time to be reminded of the faithfulness of our God. We wouldn't be crossing this Jordan had God not got us out of Egypt and first led us through the Red Sea and through all the trials of the wilderness. It's only because of all of that faithfulness in the past that we can go forward today. So the call is not to sit around and figure how we can recycle, but to pray, Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, how can your glory be seen in 2019? We don't need two 1955s. We don't need two 1975s. We need your glory on display in 2019 and in 2020 and for however long the Lord tarries. They were celebrating the past as they looked at those stones, but they weren't stuck in the past. They were propelled forward by faith, and the world was taking notice. The kings around them were melting in fear. The promised land was theirs to take if they would just take it. God had already crushed the enemy from the inside out. And you see, the world's response is this. There will either be a fear that leads to faith or there will be a fear that doubles down on unbelief. Are you ready to meet them? And by the way, most of them won't walk through this door. You've got to go out there where they are. Because there are people out there by the grace of God that when they have that fear that leads to faith, they are shaken by the reality of God's work in your lives and in your church. They're just waiting for somebody to tell them what in the world is going on. I love the words of Lamentation 3. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We just walk through a lot of verses. But boy, we saw God do some awesome things. And the call to revival is not easy. The call to revival is uncomfortable because it means we can't keep on doing what we're doing and expect a different outcome. It means we're going to have to take seriously things like following God's leadership. God may lead us across some swollen river. What in the world, God? God's leading you. Don't worry about it. He's going to take care of the details. You just make sure you obey. He's going to call us to give glory to God when we may have been wasting a lot of time giving glory to us. I don't know about you, Tim, but I, I got this issue with giving glory to me. There's something in my flesh when people <laughs> tell me I did a good job and I like to brag on things you did. And it doesn't mean we don't need to encourage each other. But we need to make it clear that what we do why we exist is for the glory of God. And every time we have an opportunity to make a lasting monument to his glory and not ours, we should do that. And God always has an appointed leader in the middle of that. Are you ready to receive him? Are you ready to follow him? One of the greatest challenges a church faces is to have a successful follower of a long-tenured pastor. Because everybody's going to say, well, you know, let's just call it out. Brother Herbert did this. And praise God. Man, the faithfulness of a man who served 37 years in one place. That's almost unheard of. But God's got a new plan for a new day. And that's only going to unfold as you follow who God will bring to lead you. And you're going to have to do that by faith. God's going to give you the grace for that. God's going to show you things you haven't seen before. If you will say, the presence of God is passing by. It's time to march. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your awesome deeds among the children of Israel. God, I believe you desire to do awesome things at the Resa Baptist Church. God, do a work in the hearts of your people so that they might be ready to receive them. As we sing this hymn of response, Lord, show us where our hearts need to change. Show us where our minds need to change. Tear down our spirit of rebellion. Take away our arrogance and our pride. Uh, Lord, bring us to repentance over patterns of sin, that we would desire a holy and intimate walk with you. As we sing this hymn of response, Lord, help us to respond in our hearts by faith that will lead to obedience in our actions, that God's people might live and serve and worship as God's people, and that the lost might desire to be among God's people, to be one of them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn number 433, I Surrender All.